0: Okay girls, um, before we jump into today's lesson, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to bang this drum because I'm so excited. Yesterday we got a shipment of books that came in. And so I wrote wrote a book on forgiveness, it's titled Forgive, Freedom is Worth It, and it's for sale October 11th, but it's coming and I want you to take part of it. And get it and so we'll let you know more details but i just want to make you aware that it's coming and we have a book launch coming october 11th and i would love to see you there and you can find out any information you want on our website but we are super pumped about that that has been like birthing quadruplets it feels like (laughs) this summer but we did it we're so grateful all right if you're new this week let me catch you up on where we are we are in the middle of a six-week series titled refuge our anchor verse is psalm it's um, in Psalm seventy-three, twenty-eight. he says, the psalmist says, I have made the Lord my refuge. He says, it's good to be near to God. I've made him my refuge so that I may tell of all your works. And so we're looking in scripture throughout this six week series of different places where we see God as refuge. And if you remember from week one, we talked about the fact that God himself defines what refuge means. So he defines what refuge means in my life. Now that can be a rub at times because I like to define what refuge is. And if you were here week one, I mentioned that refuge is a cozy couch with chips and queso and a new series on Netflix and all of my people are well and it's sunny outside, but it's just a perfect day. And sometimes God says, that's great. And sometimes you'll have that, but there will be other times When my presence alone, which is always what refuge is from God, but my presence alone will be enough for you because the circumstances will not be favorable. And we looked at that last week in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were led to the threshold of the fiery furnace. And if you remember, I talked about last week that oftentimes or sometimes our faith begins to falter and can even derail Because we're standing on the threshold of something really painful and really difficult And we want to define God being good in the sense that if he's really good. He delivers me from that I don't have to go into the furnace and it rattles our cages and it it, um, Shakes our faith when we recognize. Oh, there's a God whose character never changes. He's always good He's always right he's always just he's always truthful he's always moving toward me in love and yet he allows me sometimes even orchestrates a fiery furnace for me to travel through but he always promises that he's in the furnace with us I will never leave you I will never forsake you and in this life you will have trouble and so For me, I've grown the most in my faith when I have reconciled and and surrendered to the truth that I can't always understand, that I serve a good God whose character is so trustworthy and yet I cannot control His ways, I don't understand His ways, and I also live in a fallen world where evil happens and things can go wrong, and I'm impacted by that. And so a dear, a good God for me means I'm following you and I'm trusting your character when I can't understand it with my earthly eyes. When my circumstances don't make sense, when you indeed are not going to rescue me from this situation, you're going to actually allow me to go through this and I'm going to trust you in spite of it. And when I do that and I say yes and I walk in, it's then like we saw last week that I experience his refuge. It's in the furnace. And they experienced it and when I experience refuge in my darkest times in my hottest seasons of life that's when he has been the sweetest to me the sweetest and it's true for you too we're going to look at a different angle of refuge today and we find it in Hebrews chapter 10 but before we jump in I want you to take 30 seconds (coughs) and I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to answer this question question is Who in your life, is there someone in your life that you find to be your safest place? Is there anyone in your life that you can come to and you can just be a total mess and you always know that you're going to find acceptance? You can rant one second and be happy the next second and be a ball of snotty tears the third second and you know that this woman or man, whomever it is, looks at you and is like, it's all right, it's all right. all right, look to your neighbor, and I want you to talk about who that person is. Thank you so much. Okay, girls, are you able to identify someone? Here's how I describe this person in my life. For me, I have, I have several people in my life that are that. My husband, my twin sister, my mom. Uh, but the person for me that I know is always going to receive me is my sweet friend, Jamie, who lives in College Station. I've, ta- I've told you some about her. We talk probably on the phone three or four times a day, and sometimes we're just talking about the latest pair of shoes that we want, but there are other times where I can call her and I'm that snotty mess, and if somehow Jason's not breathing just quite right, in my opinion, or he's not eating his cereal right, and I'm ready to snap, I can vent that to her, and she knows I'm married up. She knows <laughs> no matter what I say, Jason's the finer person. And so I can vent and it doesn't change the way she sees my husband. It doesn't change the way she sees me. She adores me. She loves me. And she'll always say nobody's cuter than you. (laughs) But there are times when she'll say, listen, you're, you're on the crazy train of thoughts. Let's hop off of that. So she speaks truth to me, but she always accepts me. And to me, that's really the key. Is acceptance I I know that I'm always accepted I don't have to perform for her and here's the kicker is I never have to walk on eggshells with her oh oh do you have relationships in your life where that that person you're not quite sure what you're gonna get that day and you tend to walk on eggshells and you're like is it a good day is it okay did I look at you wrong if I say this how are you gonna react that's a lot of fun isn't it lots of fun Here's my next question, and you don't have to turn to your neighbor on this one. I just want you to think about this in your own mind. How do you view God in that light? Is God someone that you feel complete and total acceptance from? Do you feel as though you can come into his presence at any time and vent, rant, rage, rejoice, be happy, sad, mad, whatever the emotion is? Do you really in your guts believe that he fully accepts you? Do you ever feel as though you you walk on eggshells just a little bit, and you think, oh my gosh, I said that to my kids on the way to school, I'm so sorry, oh. He's got to be mad. If he's not mad, he's got to be disappointed. And then at other times when you finish serving at that soup kitchen, you know, you're like, I know, God, that's for you. (laughs) And you feel like, oh, somehow. I think if we're really honest, I think we, we all want to say, oh, yes, for sure. But I even know in my life, too, there are times where I'm like, oh, how does he feel about me? How does he feel about me? Is he more pleased with me when I'm having a really good day and I spend an extra 30 minutes with him in the morning? Is he frustrated? And do I find myself taking a step or two backwards toward, away from him when I haven't spent time with him and it's been one day, two days, three, a week's gone by? I want us to be honest with ourselves because I think this this, um, lesson today is going to be incredibly encouraging to us, but I want us to be really truthful when we come to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and as I started to pray about my teaching this week, I just sensed God take me back to the beginning and remind me, because last week was a difficult week for me. Because I had several friends that are battling terminal illnesses, and I can't fix it, and I can't control it, and they don't seem to be getting better. And that, there are three very dear people in my life, and that has kind of thrown me into a wrestling match, if you will, with God, son, of like, Lord, where are you? Why? Act, move, do this. This is how I need you to provide refuge. I want you to heal like that. And when that doesn't happen, I find myself getting frustrated and frustrated. And there were moments in the week where I felt timid in his presence. I'm sorry, I'm doubting you. I know, I know that you're good. I know I'm sorry. And I just sense the Holy Spirit remind me of this passage. And we're going to look at the entirety of Hebrews chapter 10, but there's a verse in, in 19 of Hebrews 10 that says, therefore we can come boldly to the throne, boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood. And when I read and I sat and I meditated in this passage this week, it changed everything for me. It changed everything. And so I want us to look at it because it's easy for us to imagine, well, yes, God loves me and all the time he loves me, and that is true, but it cost him everything to provide that freedom for me. You see, it wasn't always the case that men and women could come boldly to the throne. And Scripture's clear, it says, having been sprinkled by the blood, that's why I get to come boldly to the throne. So today, we're going to put our big girl pants on, and we're going to do a little bit of theology today. And we're going to look at some history on what that means. We're going to look at what the Old Covenant was like in the Old Testament and compare it to what is now new in the New Covenant. And it's going to, I think, help us really appreciate the freedom we have to come boldly to the throne. So Hebrews chapter 10, I want to jump in. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, he says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Now that's critical. We'll look at that closer in just a second. The old system were sacrifices under that. So I want to give us a. We're going to camp there for just a second, and I want us to talk about what he means when he says the old system in the Old Testament. We have always served a holy God. A holy God is a pure, spotless God, without blemish, without sin. All powerful, all knowing, all just, all good. And that holy God cannot interface with sin. And when sin entered the world, that's a big problem. And so an atonement had to be made. Atonement means to cover. And it always had to be a sacrifice. It's been clear from the beginning, the wages of sin is death sin brings death and the sacrifice for sin has always been death because the blood has always covered and made the atonement I want to look you don't have to go with me and let if you've got your Bibles you can but one chapter over in Hebrews 9 we're gonna look at this a little more clearly on what the writer means and what the Lord means by old system and what that first covenant meant so track with me for just a minute It says this in Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 1, it says that first covenant, the old system between God and Israel, those are God's people, had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. Okay, now here's where we got to stick with me. There were two rooms in that tabernacle, the place of worship, and in the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. Now this room was called the holy place. And then there was a curtain behind that curtain and it, was this, it entered into the second room called the Most Holy Place. And in that room were a gold incense altar, a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the Ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail just now. Now track with me for just a second. What the writer of Hebrews is saying very clearly. There was a designated physical place of worship. And the Israelites once a year, once a year, went to this place of worship. But all the people were not able to go in and experience God's presence. There was the first room, which was the the holy place. And only those that could go in were the priest, clergymen, those men of the cloth. They could go into the first place. But then the second room was called, there was a curtain, and you could go behind the curtain. That was called the most holy place. Now, only one person could go there, and that was the high priest. So we'll see that in just a second. So pick up in verse six, we're in verse six of Hebrews nine. Just hang with me. It says, Now, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But the only, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that they had committed in ignorance. And by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. Picture the scene. The year has come to make the blood sacrifice, the blood sacrifice to cover the sins. Atonement means to cover, to cover. That's what atonement means. So once a year, the Israelites would travel to the temple, to the tabernacle. You see the first room, which is the holy room. And now only the priest can take the next step into the holy room. And they go in and they do the religious duties. They burn incense. They set up the table like it's supposed to be. But then they step back. The great high priest... Is the only one that can go to the most holy place so he enters behind the curtain and he is walking in carrying a blood sacrifice that sacrifice is usually a goat or a bull and it's unblemished and there is blood dripping because the blood is the atonement and here's a fact is that oftentimes they would tie a rope with a bell on the ankle of the high priest Because if everything wasn't done according to the law and it wasn't just right, he was flattened and died because he had entered the most holy place and atonement could not be made. And so if he fell to the ground to his death, the bell would sound and they would literally pull him out by the rope. Crazy. It's just, it's amazing. It blows my mind. This is the old system and it's the old covenant. This is the old covenant and it's once a year. And the atonement only covered it didn't take away sin and we'll see that in just a second So in my mind, it helps me to picture it like this is that you've got a credit card and You got to pay for some debt and you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and you're putting your debt on this credit card And it doesn't remove the debt, right? You still owe the debt It just covers it for a little bit just makes you feel a little bit better. When you walk out of that store with that new sectional sofa that you wanted, and even though it's Black Friday and it's at a really good deal, that bill is still coming in the mail, right? Well, it's 12 months free interest, doesn't matter, you still owe. And that's what this was like. That's what this was like. It was just a covering, it was a temporary fix to an eternal problem called sin, In verse 3, now we're back in Hebrews 10. Stay with me. Y'all are doing great. Is everybody with me? Come on, girls. We got this. Verse 3 of Hebrews 10. The writer says, but instead, he's just said the old system, but instead, those sacrifices, instead of bringing us into greater freedom, he's saying those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Why? Because he says it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's critical, to take away sin. It's never enough. It was never enough. In verse 5, it says, That is why when Christ came into the world, He said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You've given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Why is that? Because it was never the eternal fix. And here's the thing. If I'm standing outside of the holy place and I'm standing out here and I'm hoping that I don't see the high priest coming out by a rope, I don't know about you, but that is not going to foster a lot of affection and intimate relationship with God it's fear-based it's a it's it's nerve wracking to say the least god's always desired he created us for relationship with himself sin entered into the world and it had to be taken care of it had to be eradicated and these burnt temporary offering, offerings were not going to do it and jesus said that's why you sent me and i have a body to offer you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin verse 7 chapter 10 Then I said, this is Jesus speaking. uh, Look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He, meaning Jesus, cancels the first covenant in order to put the second covenant into effect. We'll talk about that more in a second. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. You see, the blood sacrifice of the bulls and goats was a yearly thing, but even throughout the year, they were making sacrifice continually. And so the priests were always doing the work of offering the sacrifices. That's why when you see um, Jesus come to the earth and he turns over the tables, people are coming to offer a sacrifice and the, um, the priests are now, uh, earning some money. So they're sitting there saying, you know, that, that bull, it's kind of blemished. You need to buy my bull. My bull is better. And they're making money because they're living under this old covenant. And there's no rest. The priests can't ever sit down. They're frantic and they're, they're they, it's just all gone haywire. And Jesus is saying, I've come to settle it once and for all. There's no repeat report, uh, performance needed. When Jesus hung on the cross, you can read this in scripture. One of the very last things he said was to telestai. In the Greek word, it's a Greek word and it means it is finished. Meaning it's once and for all. It's a sacrifice made once and for all. Verse 11 says this. It says, The old covenant, the old system, the, in the, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. Take away sin. That's really important that we get this, the difference. One commentator said this. He said, Animal sacrifice under the Old Covenant could cover sin, could cover it. The Hebrew word for atonement is kofar, which means literally to cover. But animal sacrifice could never take away sins. Only Jesus, the perfect sacrifice of the New Covenant, takes sins away. The Old Covenant, another way I look at it, is like a Band-Aid. So if you've got a nasty sore and it's pussy and gross... And you, yes, and you put a Band-Aid over it. Surely you and I both know by putting that Band-Aid over it, that Band-Aid does not bring the healing. The Band-Aid alone does not take away the wound, the ailment, the thing that needs healing. The Band-Aid just covers it so you can come to Bible study and we don't go, that's disgusting, what's on your leg? (laughs) Your leg is pussy. Cover that up. So the Old Covenant was like a Band-Aid. The atonement in the Old Covenant simply merely covered sin. It didn't take it away. And Jesus is saying, I've come to remove it, to eradicate it once and for all. Um, Here's why we're talking about this today. So many of us in our Western Christian culture look at Christianity as somewhat of a chicken soup for the soul kind of faith. And of course, I believe in Jesus, but we don't really have any idea what that means. And today we're going to look at what it really means and why Jesus came and what it provided for us. And I pray that none of us take it for granted. It cost him everything to provide the freedom for me to enter into his presence. And his presence is where refuge is always found. But lest I never assume that 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 refuge didn't cost him everything. Didn't cost him everything. So then in verse uh, 12 of Hebrews 10, he says, the writer says, But our high priest, that's Jesus, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Now listen to this. This is when it gets really good. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. He sat down. Why did he sit down? Because he was fully at rest. Because it was done once and for all. And there in verse 13 it says, he waits for his enemies until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering... By that one offering, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. By that one offering, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now this is a bit of theology right here. It's the now and the not yet. And so what the writer means when he says, by that one offering, Jesus made perfect those that are being made holy. What does it mean to be made perfect? It means to be given a cloak of righteousness. It means to be made perfect in the eyes of the Lord. Once and for all, what makes me perfect is not my good behavior. Me acting like a good Christian girl is not what makes me presentable and not what, it's not my ticket into his presence. What makes me able to go into the presence of the great high priest boldly is having been sprinkled by the blood. And having been sprinkled by the blood is a one-time transaction that makes me justified before God the Father. Okay? So this is a big, this is a big theological churchy word, justification. So when the writer says those being made, that have been made perfect, have been made perfect, That is a transaction. So when you and I look at the cross and we recognize that His blood sacrifice was meant for me to cover my sins and I say, yes, Lord, I need that. I am a sinful woman. I need sacrifice for my sins. You've provided that. I receive it. I am now justified. And I like to look at it like just as if I'd never sinned justified because jesus says i take away your sins past present and future so it is a standing i am it is a um it's my standing is made right before god does this make sense are we tracking and so now because i have received by faith ephesians says it is by faith and grace that i am saved not by works. So by faith, I say, I want that blood covering for me. I only have to do that one time, one time, and my eternity is secured with him. And so when the Lord sees me, I am fully acceptable in his, his sight from that day forward, from that day forward. And my sin, the power of sin is eradicated from that day forward. Now I continue to sin, I continue to make mistakes, But I don't, every time I make a mistake, go, oh my goodness, forgive me, forgive me. And I don't, I don't enter into this uncertainty of my salvation may be on the line again. And I'm going to be like that priest needing to be pulled out by a rope. Because this sinful woman is now exposed in front of a holy God. I'm never exposed in that sense any longer because the blood covers me. And that blood covering is a one-time event. It's a transaction that happens, and no longer do I have to fear and go, am I saved? Am I acceptable in his sight? Does that mean me? This is where we get so tripped up by the enemy, because the enemy will continue to go, that didn't really take. That didn't really work. That didn't really work. Here's why he says that didn't really work. And here's why we bite onto that lie. It's the second part of the sentence. The second part of the sentence says, for for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Second churchy word is sanctification. So you have justification. That's a one-time thing. Sanctification is a process that will continue until I'm in heaven face to face with him. And let's never, ever confuse the two. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. And this is an example that helps me. It may just mess you up. And if it does, I apologize. But when I came into relationship, he covered me in his righteousness. And so anytime he sees me, I may, I've been made righteous because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. He delights in me. But he continues to sanctify me so it's almost like I got a big old coat of righteousness I'm a size 2T toddler and it's a a women's size 8 and it's on me and I'm trying to get and then as I grow in my relationship with him this coat of righteousness becomes more familiar and it fits and it's more natural And I'm wearing it right does that make sense the coat of right it covers me no matter what But being made holy is the process on this earth of doing time with Jesus and allowing Him access into my life and allowing Him to come in and have His way. And as I do that, I start to look more and more like Him. And that's what it means to be made holy. It doesn't mean to be made perfect in the sense of behavior. We think this side of heaven that a good Christian does a lot of good things and doesn't do a lot of bad things. While that may be true, if it's motivated and coming from a place of earning We've missed it. It is not a works-based religion. It is a grace-based religion because the blood of Jesus bought it for me. It is by grace I've been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so the difference between Christianity and other world religions that you may understand, as I understand most of the other world religions are a process of you striving to get to a higher place working a little bit harder, and you're a little bit better this year than you were last year. And Scripture clearly says, cease striving. Cease striving and know that I am God. I don't ever have to step on a treadmill of performance again, ever, ever, because the blood bought it for me. And so in my worst moments... I can come boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood in my best moments that I want to make sure social media is aware of. In those great moments I can come boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood. But having been sprinkled by the blood is the kicker. We cannot miss that and it costs him everything so that I could come freely. Those being made perfect, that he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Verse 15, it says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant, the new covenant, the new system that I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Let let me read that again. I don't know if we got that. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. I will never again. Scripture says in Psalm 103, as far as from the east is from the west, so far has he removed his, my transgressions from me. 18 says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Here's what we do all day long. What can I sacrifice today to make sure he likes me today and to make sure I'm pleasing? Now, here's the thing. I make sacrifices all day long, but it comes from a place of security. It doesn't come from a place of insecurity. Do you see the difference? The difference insecurity is like, I better do this so he likes me. I better do this so he's pleased with me. I better do this so he'll jump through that hoop and bless me. A place of security is like, man, let me tell you. I am covered by the blood. I am secure. I am his daughter. And because of that, oh, what can I do? Lord, how can I love you today? How can I be used by you? My life is yours, Lord. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. I can trust you. I can trust you. And so here's where the passage turns. In verse 19, the writer says this. He says, and so... Another translation will say, therefore, so having just heard all of this, the old system is gone, the new system has come. It's a sacrifice once and for all made by Jesus himself. The blood covers me. I have been made perfect and I am being made holy. Now, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Guess what, girls? The most holy place is for all of us. We all get to enter it it's not just for the clergy it's not just for the super spiritual we all get to enter it why because we've been sprinkled by the blood because of the blood of Jesus verse 20 by his death Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place and since we have a great high priest who's our high priest who is your high priest Jesus, always, from now and forever, he is our high priest. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. What does he ask for? He asks for our faith. What does that mean? He just wants me to believe it. Just believe it to be true, Laura. Stop doubting. Stop doubting. Just believe it, Laura. Believe that you're covered. Believe that I love you. Believe that I paid for it. Believe that you're secure. Believe it. Believe the truth. Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Why? Because our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Our guilty consciences. Jesus said in Scripture, he says, um, for the joy set before him, the joy that he knew was coming, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, what's the joy? The joy is relationship. With His daughters and his sons because we've been sprinkled by the blood he paid for it all So when he died on the cross and he rose on that third day He did not look at me and say I bought it for you come into relationship now walk around feeling guilty now walk around with a guilty conscience Because everybody's gonna want to join whatever you have if they see you walking around with your head hung low and your shoulders sloped because you're feeling guilty and shameful For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. From this point until you get to heaven, the enemy will continually want you to bite the bait of shame. He will continually want you to go, see, you stink. You're not enough. You're way too much. Settle down. Simmer down. Step it up. Sit down. Shut up. Whatever it is, your ticker tape that rolls in your head is different from mine, but we all have it. And the Lord is saying, the cross paid for that. Don't listen to it anymore. Fully trust me, Laura. Fully trust me. Come into my presence. Come into my presence. Come in. And then he says in verse 23, okay, so now let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. He saved me it's done he's not gonna unsave me I'm being made holy we're working this out I'm gonna battle the flesh till the day I get to heaven but when he looks at me he delights in me because I'm his daughter and he delights in you my daughter Beth is 10 her favorite thing to do is to go to Jason's office to visit dad in his office And it doesn't matter if he's got people in there. It doesn't matter if the door is closed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She boldly enters into his office every single time. And it does not occur to her to be afraid. It does not occur to her for one iota that she should fear her daddy. Because she trusts him. She trusts him. She comes boldly into his his presence. He's her favorite person on earth. And the lord is saying watch that laura look at that watch that do you see that do you see that that's an nth of the degree to which i want you to delight in my presence come in i know you're struggling with that i know you're wrestling with me i know you're frustrated i know it i know it i know it but come here this is your refuge we're going to work this out you're going to come into my presence and it's going to give you a deep breath and you're going to surrender some things you need to surrender, and you're going to let go, and you're going to receive comfort, and you're going to understand what assurance really feels like and what it means to walk in freedom. You're going to understand and experience all that in my presence. But if you stand on the outside of the most holy place, the presence of God, and go, oh, I don't know. Will somebody else tell me how he feels about me? I just don't know if that's safe. What if I walk in and he asks something of me that I can't do? I just don't know. And he's saying stop stop it I delight in you. I love you and I am your safe place. I am your refuge But let us never forget what it cost him It cost him everything a final sacrifice and here's the deal my past sins are forgiven my Current sins are forgiven and the future sins that I don't even understand or know that I'm going to commit He sees it all and it's all covered And that level of love in and of itself keeps me from wanting to sin. It's the loving kindness of the Lord that brings about repentance. So where do you find yourself today in relationship to the Lord? Do you and I fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian doesn't mean that I like some inspirational quotes that I've read and I go to church once a month or I go every week. And it's a belief system that I hold, but I don't really know. Know what the Bible says, girls. Know your theology because it changes everything. It changes everything because here's the thing. A belief system, just kind of knowing, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really know him. and I don't really know what it means. I don't know why Jesus did come. I know he came to die. And when we stop there, we'll stop there. We will stop there. Press in. Press in. It just gets better. It just gets better. It gets more and more glorious, more and more wonderful. And you will love him more than you ever dreamed imaginable. And because of that, you will love those around you more than you ever dreamed imaginable. Your patience is going to get long, your grace, you're going to extend it far and wide because you recognize what that means. He has covered me. He has saved me and because of that I can come boldly to the throne having been sprinkled by the blood have you been sprinkled by the blood where do you find yourself in relationship to Christianity maybe you kicked the tires for a lot of years you come here anytime kick them figure it out ask the questions but at some point each one of us must make a decision what we believe about the cross what do we believe about Jesus who is he is he who he says he is if he's God I give you my life. I come under that covering. Ask yourself that. If you've already done that, don't stand on the outside. Come boldly to the throne because you've been sprinkled by the blood. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. It cost you everything to provide this freedom for me. And I confess, I take it for granted 90% of the time. And I thank you that you see me, you love me, your compassions are new every morning. So Lord, have your way in my life. Continue to sanctify me, continue to make me holy because you've already justified me. So I'm asking today, everything that's been said today, Lord, your word that's been read, would you cause that which you want to stick into our hearts to stick and go down deep, Lord, and spring forth new life. I ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.